0: I have to be with you all this morning. I uh, need to let you know a couple things. I've been handed uh, a couple of things already this morning. Uh, the first is from uh, none other than Mr. Dennis Dobson, and uh, he simply wanted me to say that they won the game. Because uh, I know some of you are wondering uh, about the football game there. Uh, the second is also related to football. With uh, the start of school comes the start of the cowboy season, and uh, I won't say who. Uh, but let's make up a, a fake member today, and let's say that somebody named Mark Prude uh, handed me a schedule of the Cowboys, uh, and highlighted the games that begin at noon uh, this season. <laughs> and I don't know what he was trying to tell me there, but uh, uh, anyways, I'll try and be a good neighbor to you and let you, let you out, plenty of time to, to watch the Cowboys whenever they come around. We have been in the series, uh, starting last week, that John Mark kicked off for us, called Where the Wild Things Are. And uh, the title, of course, comes from a children's book. And the idea behind it is that uh, through the the course of this story, we find out that the wild things aren't truly out there. Uh, they're They're not out there. They're not these people who are opposed to us. The wild things are truly within us. And so we have to do some work and uh, take some intentionality to tame those wild things and to do what we can to be good neighbors and and love one another well, as Jesus teaches us. And so we're going to continue that series this week. And uh, uh, before uh, we get going, I just want to ask, uh, or maybe not ask, but uh, gently remind you uh, that we are trying to give you some challenges uh, throughout this series of ways that you can intentionally take time to interact with your neighbors. And so last week, John Mark challenged us. He said, uh, be physically present with a neighbor. That could look like uh, knocking on their door and introducing yourself if you don't know who they are. Uh, it might mean that you uh, physically go to their house and uh, pick up an Amazon package because you know they're out of town. Uh, you know that uh, if it's left there all week, that somebody might come and come by and pick it up. Uh, it might look like any number of things, but that was the challenge for last week, and so I won't. Uh, you know, I won't ask you to do a show of hands uh, whether or not you were physically present with a neighbor last week, but uh, remember that. And remember that as we go through this series. We have an opportunity to try and take the teachings of Jesus seriously, and and to really participate in in loving our neighbors well. Uh, And so today we're going to continue in this series, and last week uh, we talked about the story of the Good Samaritan. And what Jesus does in that that story is he expands our view of who our neighbors are. Uh, We might go around thinking that our neighbors are just the people who live right next door to us. Uh, We might go thinking that they're the people who think like us or uh, who vote like us, But, but Jesus says, no, your neighbor is the person that you least And he uses the story of the Good Samaritan uh, to help teach us that. Well, today we're going to continue that that idea of expanding the idea of who our neighbor is. Uh, And the the text that we're going to to get to today uh, is going to help us see that our neighbor is somebody that we might not initially expect. But if we know that this person is our neighbor, it will totally change the way that we treat the people around us. Uh, now, I want to take a little bit of a roundabout way to get there, uh, and uh, so first of all, I just want to tell you a couple of stories about, um, about me being a neighbor, because uh, I'm learning a lot about what it means to be a neighbor right now. My wife and I, we just bought a house, and, uh, and we have no idea what it takes to be homeowners, but we're giving it a shot, and uh, uh, one of the things that I've learned over the past like two months uh, is that there are things that happen when you own a house uh, that you don't necessarily like, uh, but you have to go along with it. Uh, so there's this uh, holiday at the beginning of the month of July. Perhaps you've heard of it. Uh, it's called the 4th of July. And uh, it's the, the day that we celebrate our independence as a country. Uh, and one of the celebrations that goes along with this particular holiday is a thing called fireworks. Has anybody in here ever shot fireworks? Okay. we got to talk after service. Because uh, uh, I am no longer a fan fireworks. Uh, and I learned this this year as a, as a homeowner. Uh, in my neighborhood, we, we had a lot of celebrations with fireworks, and they went on and on for days. Uh, and the only problem with fireworks uh, is that if you have small children, perhaps maybe you're like this, uh, or if you're like me, we have a dog. Our dog, for the past two months, has been hiding under our bed. Uh, and th- now here's what you need to know, is our dog is like a 60-pound lab. He's a big dog. Uh, and so hiding under the bed is not an easy thing for him. It's like you know he's like destroying the bed every time he climbs under there. Uh, so I'm learning what it means to be a neighbor. I have to learn uh, what it means uh, to try and love my neighbors who love fireworks, even though I personally do not. Uh, the other thing that I'm learning is uh, is a little bit about envy and jealousy. Uh, my next door neighbor uh, they have this brilliantly green lawn, uh, and Rebecca and I. We have this like dirt patch uh, so i'm learning a lot about jealousy and envy because my neighbors like they take care of their yard they know what they're doing and we're like no, no we're just kids trying to figure it out uh, and so i'm learning a lot about what it means to be a neighbor uh, and one of the things that, that uh, if you turn to scripture and you learn this about uh, about what it means to be a neighbor i think you'll see it pretty much everywhere that you look for this uh, is that one of the things about being a good neighbor in scripture is that you have to learn how to be a good host you have to learn hospitality uh, and that's something that uh, that's something that I'm still working, I'm still learning, it and still trying to figure it out, but uh, I hope today that uh, over the course of a couple of ser- uh, stories that we're going to read, that it'll be something that uh, impacts, you, that you'll understand that Scripture really thinks it's important for us to open our homes uh, and, and to be hosts, and to, to offer hospitality to our neighbors. Okay, so I told you I was going to take a roundabout way to get into our text for today. Uh, If you've got a Bible, feel free uh, to turn over to the end of the book of Judges. Uh, This is not going to be our text for for today, uh, but we are going to use this text uh, to kind of springboard into our text. Now, if you're familiar with the end of the book of Judges, uh, then you'll know uh, that the way the book of Judges goes is it starts off bad, and it gets worse. Uh, So we're at the end of the book of Judges, and things are not good. This is not a story that uh, the, the Bible is telling you that this is the way that you ought to live. Uh, this is a story that's telling you this is the way that you should not live. Uh, if, if you're going to read this passage, this is a, a great example of ways not to act with your neighbors. Uh, but one of the things that we see in, towards the end of this book is, is this theme of hospitality coming forth. Uh, the story that I'm referencing is it starts in chapter 19 of Judges. Uh, so if you kind of want to follow along, uh, we'll go through this story little bit by little bit. Uh, but it starts with uh, this man, a Levite, and he uh, has a secondary wife. Uh, a concubine, uh, somebody who's not his primary wife. And so already you can tell uh, that the story is very different from the world that we live in today. And it's not the way that God really wants us to act. Uh, but that this is the way the story begins. And so this Levite has a secondary wife, and she, uh, she has had enough. And so she leaves, and she runs away. And the Levite goes after her and says, I'm going to go get her, and I'm going to bring her back home. And so he gets her, and they begin their journey back home. And as they're coming home, uh, they, they're, they're traveling and they're journeying and it becomes night and they need to stop and stay somewhere. And so they stop in this village uh, and they, they go to the town square and they're waiting for somebody to come and invite them to stay the night at their house. They're, they're, they're looking for somebody to be hospitable towards them. And someone comes, a man comes, and he offers that they can come and stay in his home. And so they, they go and stay in his home and, and in the course of the night, all of the men from this village gather around this house and they knock on the door, and they demand that this man come out so that they can know him. And what you need to know about the story, is again, this is not a story uh, that, that Scripture is saying, this is the way you should act. This is a story doing the exact opposite. Uh, and this story is really dark. It's rated R. Uh, because what they mean when they say, we want to know this man, it's not like they want to get a cup of coffee with this person. It's much <coughs> worse than that. It's much deeper than that. It's like they want to get to know you, know you as if it's the wedding night. And so they demand that this man come forth. So they can get to know him. The man in the house, rather than seeking God, rather than turning to God and trying to find some kind of uh, of way to, to not do this, rather than that, instead he offers his secondary wife to them. He says, You can't get to know me, but her. You can get to know her. So he sends her out, and then all night they abuse this woman. In the morning, when the man wakes up, He goes and he opens the door, and she has crawled back to the door, and she's died on the doorstep because of what these men have done to her. If you think the story is bad because of that, like I said, it only gets worse. Because the husband takes his wife's body, and he sends it all throughout Israel as a call to action. And all of Israel comes, and they come to this town, and they make war civil war within Israel. And the way that the the story ends is that the Israelites, they totally wipe out this entire village, this entire town, for what they've done. And this is the way the book of Judges ends. The very last verse of chapter 21. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And each person did what they thought to be right. Each person thought what they did, what they were doing was right. The men of this village, they thought what they were doing was right. The, the people of Israel who come and they totally annihilate this village and wipe them all out and make war against them. They think that what they're doing is right. And the, the author of Judges wants to make this point that because there's no king, because there's nobody telling them the way that they ought to live and the way that they ought to act, of course, it descends into chaos and violence. And, and, and the way that the story runs is it, it's right before the book of Ruth and the book of First uh, and 2 Samuel. And what we're supposed to understand is that a true king is coming. That David, the one uh, who will sit on the throne, that he is coming. He's on his way, but he's not there yet. There's no king in Israel. The only problem with that is the story of God, because this is supposed to be God's chosen people, isn't it? It's supposed to be the people that God has commissioned and charged and told them that you ought to live a certain way, and it's not the way that they're out at the not the way they're acting in the end of judges. They're supposed to live a different kind of life, a life where they are uh, in tune with God, where they're following the commandments of God. And instead, they're doing anything and everything that they think is right. See, Israel has a king. It's God. But they've ignored that king. and Instead, they're doing whatever comes into their mind, whatever they think happens to be right at the time. So the way the story goes, of course, is that uh, Israel ends up having a king. Uh, First, we have Saul. Uh, And after Saul, we have David in the the line of David. Uh, But of course, after Solomon, uh, the the story uh, takes a a turn that we don't expect. Because instead of David's uh, kingdom being set up with his descendants for generation after generation, all of a sudden, the kingdom of Israel splits into two different kingdoms. And so not only does Israel have a king, it actually has two kings. uh, And the people are split into these divided tribes, divided groups. And so now Israel goes through this cycle of kings. uh, Good kings, bad kings, kings who do what they think is right, kings who might... Uh, ask God what they, what, what they should do and, and follow God's instructions. And by and large, the majority of these kings for both kingdoms are kings who don't follow God. They're kings who instead do whatever they think is right, whatever they can do to make sure that they are set up with power and make sure that their, their dynasty, that their kingdom, that their future, uh, the future generation will, will be coming from them, that the kingdom will follow in their line. And the majority of these kings, they don't listen to God. And they don't follow God. And they don't seek God. And the story of Scripture, after all these kings, leads the people of Israel into exile. To the the point where there's no king in Israel, but instead there's a foreign king that somebody else has come in and now they are ruling over the Israelites, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, eventually the Romans. And the way the Scripture reads is that there's no king in Israel people are doing whatever they think is right in their own eyes. And then, of course, we get to the person of Jesus. And the person of Jesus, all of a sudden, for those who have eyes to see it and ears to hear it, we begin to understand that God has a different purpose in mind, that what God is doing is greater than simply setting up a kingdom. That what God is doing is greater than just having one person in power over all the people. That what God is doing is actually bringing God's will to earth as it is in heaven. And that we have the opportunity to join in with what God is doing. And all throughout his ministry, Jesus is constantly looking for the person on the outside. For the person who needs to know this good news. For the person who doesn't have anything good going on in their life. But they need to know that God is watching. And that God loves. And that God cares for them. And so Jesus says these words when we finally get to our text in Matthew chapter 25. If you've got a Bible, feel free to turn it over with me. And we're going to read this passage together. Jesus says these words. And these are words uh, that ought to haunt us, especially if we have the story of Judges 19 in the background. Because hospitality and being a good host and being a good neighbor were so important to the ministry of Jesus. And he says these words in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. Now when the human one comes in his majesty, and all his angels are with him. He will sit on his majestic throne. All the nations will be gathered in front of him, and he will separate them from one another, just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right side, but the goats he'll put on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who will receive good things from my father, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the world began. I was hungry, and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then those who are righteous will reply to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or when did we see you thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you? or naked and give clothes to wear. When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And then the king will reply to them, I assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it. And then he will say to those on his left, Get away from me, you who will receive terrible things. Go into the unending fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you did not give me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you did not give me anything to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. I was naked, and you did not give me clothes to wear. I was sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison? and didn't do anything to help me. And he will answer, I assure you that when you haven't done it for one of the least of these, you have not done it for me. And they will go away into the eternal punishment, but the righteous ones will go into eternal life." (coughs) This is a passage that if we read this with Judges 19 in the background, ought to haunt us. It ought to make us stop and think about what we're doing. Right off the bat, the way the story reads, the king, Jesus, the true king, the one who is really over all of Israel, the one who is really over all of us, he separates the people. But he doesn't separate them based on their nationality or what language they speak or what country they come from or live in. Instead, he separates them based on whether or not they have done the will that he has told them. Do you listen? Do you obey? He separates them out. And those who have given food and drink, who have given clothing, who have visited, those who are sick or in prison, those who have welcomed the stranger, Jesus says, when you have done that, it's as if you're doing it for me. And if you haven't done that, you haven't done it for me either. And so in the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus expands our view of who our neighbors are. And Jesus says, your neighbor is probably the person that you least suspect. The person that you least wanted to be, that's the person that you need to treat like a neighbor. And here in Matthew 25, Jesus lets us in on another secret. That if we do the will of Jesus, if we welcome the stranger, if we give food and drink and clothing to those who are in need, it's as if we're doing it for Jesus, the King. So our view is expanded, not just from our neighbor being the person who lives next door to us, not just from the person who might think like us or, or look like us, but instead, our neighbor, it turns out, is Jesus. I think that if we have that understanding, when we go to look at our neighbor, when we begin to see the people around us with fresh eyes, we might just come to understand that the image of God dwells within them, that they are a precious creation of God, and that God has asked us to go and to be good neighbors to all. And so, Jesus, when he says these words, gives us a challenge gives us a commandment. How we treat the people around us, that's as if we're treating Jesus the same way. So the question that we get to ask ourselves this morning is how are we treating the people around us? Are we treating them well? Are we treating them like good neighbors? Are we being intentional? Are we taking the time to try and treat Jesus the way that we, ourselves, want to be treated? Because the image of God is within our neighbors. It's within the men and women and children in this room it's within the people that aren't like us, who don't think like us. It's within the people that we least want it to be. So we have the opportunity now to follow the teachings of Jesus, to follow the instructions of Jesus, to love our neighbors. And when we do, we might come to find that we're treating Jesus the same way. Okay, so John Mark challenged us last week. He said, be physically present with a neighbor. Have a conversation. Introduce yourself. Get to know them. Do something for them. And this week, what I want our challenge to do is to find a way to make a physical place for hospitality. I heard an interesting, uh, interesting story about a group of people, and I think they're actually here in Dallas, uh, who began a movement. Uh, it's called uh, the, uh, the Turquoise Picnic Team. And this movement uh, it began with a, a woman deciding that she wanted to be intentional with her neighbors. And so she, dis- she decided, I'm going to put a Turquoise Picnic Team in my front yard. And I'm gonna let my neighbors know that if anybody is sitting at that table, it's an opportunity for our neighborhood to come together and just to have a conversation. Maybe get to know somebody, ask them what they like and what they dislike. What are their hobbies? What do they do for, for work? And all of a sudden, this one woman who began this movement. It turned into a national phenomenon. And so all over our country, if you drive through a neighborhood and you see a, a turquoise picnic table in someone's front yard, they're saying. This is an intentional, hospitable place for our neighbors to get to know one another. Now, I'm not suggesting that each of us needs to go out and buy a picnic table uh, and paint a turquoise, but what I am suggesting is that we can make an opportunity this week to think about a physical place where we can offer hospitality to others. Maybe when you see your neighbor out doing yard work this week, maybe you can take them a glass of water. Maybe, uh, if you do see that Amazon package, you can send your, your neighbor a note and say, hey, I'm gonna pick that package up for you because I know you won't be home until later. It'll be at my house and you can swing by and stop whenever, whenever you pick it up. I want to get to know what, what you're getting at Amazon. Uh, is it something that will bless you? <laughs> is it something that, that, uh, that I shouldn't know about? But take an opportunity to choose a physical place. Maybe it's your front door or your front porch. Maybe it's uh, on the sidewalk in front of your house you're offering glasses of water to people who are walking or running by, but find a physical place and offer hospitality. What we see at the beginning uh, of today's lesson, when we look at the story of Judges 19, is the exact opposite of how we ought to live as neighbors. And I hope this week that each of of us on our own, in whatever way we're able to, will find a way to be intentional with our neighbors and to offer them love, graciousness, hospitality. Let's be good neighbors this week, church. Here in a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And as we do, our elders, uh, our shepherds are going to gather around the room. If you'd like prayers this morning, we invite you to come and spend some time with them in prayer. Uh, I'll be down front if you'd like to come and visit with me about joining uh, this journey of faith uh, through baptism. And I invite you to come and talk with me. But uh, as we worship today, let's consider the ways that we can be good neighbors this week. Would you stand?